0: Hello, everybody! Welcome into yet another edition of Crossed Up a Phillies podcast. It's time to get really excited about the baseball team in town because things are looking up with the Phillies right now. Uh, they're in a great spot, coming off of a an incredibly good weekend, winning three or four from the Washington Nationals. And we're all here to talk about it and break it down. As always, I'm your host Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly on Twitter, joined by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad, and Bob. I, you know, sometimes you need, to, you need to be a little bit lucky to be good. And the Phillies were a little bit lucky this weekend. And maybe that's why, you know, maybe because they're a good team, they're a little bit lucky. They win three or four from the Nationals. Other than the first game when Nola was just awesome and shut them down, um, they weren't great. <laughs> but yet they found ways to win a couple games that they, you know, maybe wouldn't have if they weren't uh, uh, as good a team as they are. And they got lucky, and and here they are in half game out of a wild card spot, in second place in the National League East at, at the halfway point of the season, only two games out of first, and things are really, really starting to be exciting with this team. And you've got to sit there and say guess what the playoffs are a real real possibility
1: now we're not just hoping we're not wishing we're not trying to project out something that that probably won't come to be when you look at where this team is at how they've played how they survived an absolutely brutal 42 game stretch that began way back in the middle of May after that Cardinals series uh, and especially when you look at the way that it started that stretch it looked like it could be an absolute season wrecker they stabilized they go 21 and 21 over those 42 games and here we are at season ended today they would be second uh, they would have that second wild card spot Uh, they're only a game and a half behind the Cubs or two games behind the Cubs for the first wild card spot and only three behind the Atlanta Braves for first place in the National League East and we would think based on what their schedule looks like coming up the next few weeks that they're going to be in prime position to maybe gain ground on Atlanta and then possibly add at the trade deadline. And, you know, I want to stay measured. I want to check myself here a little bit. I don't want to get carried away. But when you talk about the Phillies and this team possibly being in the postseason, uh, certainly what we've seen now through 82 games, it's realistic. I really think the way that they played the Washington Nationals both last weekend in D.C. and this past weekend over this four-game set in Philly, uh, I think that this is a realistic possibility now.
0: Yeah, and and so I was wrong with all those standings things. I'm glad you corrected me.
1: <laughs> no, I, I was. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm thinking about it. One like, game,
1: two games, three games. Yeah, what, what, whatever it is, right? You're a series well, no, but, away, no matter how you shake it. Yeah,
0: yeah exactly. But now, when when you really look at it, okay, now they actually played one more game in the halfway point. I think I was basing it off of prior to yesterday. Um, but uh, anyway, so at the halfway point, they were 44-37. and 37. So you say, okay, look, they did the same thing in the second half. They win 88 games. That would exceed – our expectations in the beginning of the year, and we were pretty optimistic at the beginning of the year. I mean, I, if I recall correctly, I think you had him at eighty three or eighty four, and I had him at eighty five. I mean, we were pretty close. Um, and now here they are. You know, and we're looking at an 80, possible eighty eight win team, um, and the second half schedule. Although there is a, another clump of games that, that look like they could be a little bit challenging, um, especially playing the Braves so much late in September, which could be with the division on the line. Um, the, the The schedule starts to e- you know ease up a little for the Phillies, especially in July. It's really you know against a lot of mediocre or not good teams, and you have to sit there and say, well, geez, if they can build themselves a little bit of a cushion, they could even you know, have a stumble later on and still be right in the thick of this thing. So, um, you know, when they're exceeding our expectations and we were positive at the beginning of the year, that tells you that things are really going well for this team right now.
1: And you know that things are really going well when Andrew Knapp, uh, in the bottom of the 13th inning with a position player set to pitch the 14th, Hits a walk-off home run, uh, and it came out after the game that Gabe Kapler was going to go to uh, Jesmuel Valentin uh, in the 14th. <laughs> uh, I don't know how that would have went. I, I liked his eagerness. Apparently, he, Valentin was all fired up to do it, and that's great. Uh, they go to Nick Pavetta, Friday night starter. Uh, he pitches a scoreless 13th inning, and it, they just they got the right hit at, at the right time, uh, and, and here we are. And, and I mean, it's just it, – it's one of these series like you said and I, I don't know if it was luck or, or what it was but it broke in their favor and it was a pivotal win in, in my opinion I think that when you look at the way that this thing is shaping up and you get now into September, this thing is going to be decided by three four five games it, it, nobody's running away with it
0: well yeah I mean this is you know this we talked a little bit about this last week and we looked at the week ahead and we saw they're playing three with the Yankees and four with the Nationals. And we kind of said, you know, oh, the Yankees are the Yankees. But the National Series was kind of going to be like a real make-or-break um, series in a lot of ways for the Phillies. And, it, 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 you know, it, it it really couldn't have gone any better. I, it really couldn't. I mean, yeah, they had the one game in there where they got pounded by 10 runs and Pavetta had a bad start and whatever. But the Phillies are now three games ahead of the Nationals. And the Nationals are only two games over five hundred. I mean, so maybe, maybe when we look at this Nationals team, they're not as good as maybe everybody thought they were. I mean, they're, they're a sub 500 team at home. Um, you know, th- they've not played well against the Phillies at all this year, and they usually do play well against the Phillies. Harper's struggling, Murphy's struggling. They really don't have, you know, other than Juan Soto, who's been a little bit of an excitement, and then the couple of the starting pitchers that they have, and yeah, you know, their bullpen is kind of stabilized a little bit, but they they're just. And I know we're going to really dive into the Washington Nationals, but they're not as good as we thought. And so really it becomes that the two young upcoming teams in the Braves and the Phillies are probably the teams that you're going to look at the most here going down the stretch. Because I, I don't know what Washington can do to really fix this other than hope that the guys that they have in place figure it out and and turn it on in the second half of the season. Because that's really their only hope.
1: Well, I think that what they're telling themselves right now is that they're just getting back Jeremy Hellickson, who was fine on Saturday night. Uh, they didn't win the game, but he was okay. We all know what Jeremy Hellickson is. He's not a yeah. difference maker. But I guess the other thing that they're going to rely upon is the return of Steven Strasburg, who's been out since June 4th. But how how reliable is that? You know, How much can you yeah. hang your hat on his return? Because it seems like he's always one pitch away from finding himself on the DL again. So... You're right. Um, I, I think I'm a little bit higher on their bullpen. Uh, you know, her, the addition of Herrera is obviously a difference maker, and and then you have Sean Doolittle at the back end of things, who's been just he's been out of his mind uh, this year. His WHIP is like sub point six. uh yeah, right really in good. the mid ones, less than four hits per nine innings. I mean, Sean Doolittle's lights out. So it's still a tough bullpen. Um, you, you do have to kind of get to them early, but the starting pitching suspect, and like we said, the, the offense. Let's just talk a little bit about their offense because I know that. That there's this idea here that the Phillies can't hit. Well, just to kind of put that in perspective. The Phillies have scored more runs per game this season than the Washington Nationals, and they both have a 7.15 OPS to this point in the season. So if you don't think the Phillies can hit, well, guess what? Neither can the Nationals. And when you look at the starting pitching, I'll take the Phillies starting pitching as a group all day long. I know, I know, Max Scherzer is on a different planet, but you know, Nola has at least been in the same stratosphere as Scherzer. But beyond that, I'll take the Phillies all day and what they have and what they're trotting out there you know through the rotation so this is not a team maybe they maybe they wake up maybe they start playing to their capability maybe they're not quite as bad as they've played to this point but I don't think they're running away with this like I don't think they're about to rip off some 25 30 games over 500 stretch to run away with the NL East I don't see that happening anymore Mm -hmm. and um, I I know probably as late as mid-May late May we probably thought that that was a realistic possibility but I don't think that's happening.
0: No, it's not, and and you know, it's it's funny, we got to see them a lot early in the season, right, we saw them seven times in the last ten days, and then we saw them earlier this season when the Phillies were down in, in Washington, and even though the Nationals won that series uh, two out of three, there was the one that was the the horrible, blown game on a Sunday when Naras gave up the home run, right? Um, so, I mean, that's, that's you, you look at it and you say, they've played them, what, 13 times now, and other than the game against Pavetta the other night, I would say no. I would say they looked really kind of pedestrian. And I don't know if that sits there, if that's, you know, you sit there and say, well, it's because the Phillies pitching is that good, or is it that the Nationals' offense is, is not really as good as everybody thought it was? And I think, uh, no, and not to discredit the Phillies pitching by any stretch of the imagination, because it's been really good, especially the starters have been really good all year, I, I think it's more the latter. I think it's more that the Nationals' offense is just not that good. It's just, it's just, when Harper's not having a great year, and you know Murphy's, come, you know he's, I think he's getting older, and the injuries are starting to bother him, and then you, you never had Zimmerman coming back from the way he played last year, which was out of his mind, and Rendon's just kind of been. Atticant okay. a series against the Phillies as yeah but, but, yeah, but I mean he overall been, yeah, he hasn't he, been he's worked. just been okay. He's just been yeah. okay. Yeah, and you got the young kid Soto who's been on fire. But other than that, I mean Adam Eaton's hitting three oh two. I guess I guess he's okay. But I mean there's not a lot there. And so if they can't start generating offense in Washington, regardless of how good their pitching their starting pitching is and the back end of their bullpen, I can't see them running off a long streak of wins because they're they're just not going to score enough. And, and just so to put that, to that's put that an into issue.
1: context, I mean, Philly's bullpen, much maligned Philly's bullpen, 15 innings between Saturday and Sunday's games, one earned run. I mean, Austin Davis comes out in the sixth inning of yesterday's game, strikes out the heart. Of the Nationals' order, I mean, sits them down one, two, three, just blows them away. Jake Thompson, who was recalled from Lehigh Valley earlier Sunday morning for the eighth time, by the way, since his initial call-up, that was the eighth <laughs> time that he was recalled, uh, comes out a few hours later and throws three shutout innings against what should have been a desperate Nationals team that was really trying to win that baseball game. Um, I, I think that there's something to be said for that, and you you just see, you see that they're struggling offensively, and I. Uh, I forget what the Braves are doing right now because they went out to St. Louis and they kicked ass this weekend. Uh, that team is tough. But when you're just looking at specifically the Nationals, I think we were all sitting around waiting for this team to just run away with it. And like we said, it's, it's not going to happen.
0: No, it's, it's just not. And so the question then becomes, all right, you're looking at the Phillies now. Go back to the Phillies. What can they do to, to separate themselves? I mean they have a three game lead on the Nationals right now. And that's okay. And they're three games behind the Braves. Okay, so they're they're right between the two. And you said you you mentioned the Braves went and they got swept in Saint Louis now. They gotta play the Yankees. And the Yankees, as we all know, are just you yeah, know, they're blowing people away. I mean, they're just they're they got couple of good starting pitchers. They can use a little bit more, the, and that's probably their weakest spot. But they hit so many home runs. The, their bullpen is so reliable when you throw out uh, Robertson, Batances, and and Chapman, you know, 7-8-9. So you really, you, it really shortens the game. Um, you know, so that's, that's a tough matchup for the Braves here to, to face them. So the Phillies can kind of catch them here. We, you know, the Phillies are playing the Orioles this week in two games um, who they should just crush because the Orioles are the worst team in baseball. But what can the Phillies do over the long haul here, um, over the next month as we approach the trade deadline, to to really kind of, you know, put themselves in a position to not just make the playoffs as a wild card, but to maybe win the National League East? What what needs to be done? And that's the that's the, that's what we have to figure out here, Bob, because I think that's the that's the key at this point.
1: I have some thoughts on that. But but before we talk about what they can do to add, let's let's just look real quick at what they what they currently have and what they need to have improved upon in order in order for this thing to really to to go down that okay. way. That and works. so let's look at we gotta talk about Jake Arietta. Um, I, I know it was a great win yesterday and we're all feeling very good about it. Um, I would say mixed results mixed returns from Jake Arietta yesterday again five innings pitched two earned runs taken out of the game with the Phillies down three nothing in the bottom of the fifth needed offense Gabe Kapler rolled the dice and and look to his credit it paid off but uh, Arrieta has really had a, a bizarre stretch here and I thought that he had a similar performance to really what he had against the Yankees uh his his prior time through the rotation on Tuesday night and so Before we even get into that, how about this stat? This is a good one for you. Unearned runs by Philly starters this season. Nick Pavetta has yet to give up an unearned run. Aaron Nola, yet to give up an unearned run. Vince Velasquez has given up only four unearned runs. Zach Eflin, three. Jake Arrieta, 15 unearned runs this season. Uh, And we all know that the defense has killed him, and we get that. And you look at the, the overall season statistics, the 356 ERA, it's okay. He's been fine, uh, but he hasn't won a start since May 29th in Los Angeles. Uh, is a span of seven starts now without a win on the mound. And, and what I look at, and though the defense hasn't backed him up, 6.17 Ks per nine right now is the worst rate worst K rate per nine amongst any National League qualified starting pitcher. And so earlier in the season when he was generating weak contact, we praised him for his pitch efficiency and how you don't need to miss bats and it's all good. Well, we're starting to see that kind of catch up with him now a little bit. And it's been a big reason why he's been unable to work his way out of a couple jams. Namely, the one that he got into yesterday in the fifth inning after he had a leadoff walk to Daniel Murphy. Uh, Reynolds hits that scorcher to Hernandez. He doesn't come up with it. It's first and third. There's a wild pitch on a ball that Jorge Alfaro should have handled. Second and third, nobody out. And then he gets Pedro Severino to strike out. He gets weak contact from Gio Gonzalez, two outs. And it looks like he's going to get out of the inning and then Adam Eaton comes up, base hit to right field, two-run score. It's like he just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have enough nastiness right now to work himself out of tough spots. And I know a lot of that falls on the defense, but at some point, even when you look at the line and you go, well, it was all right, five innings, two earned, probably could have been no earned runs if it was scored differently, I still don't come away terribly impressed with what I'm seeing right now from him.
0: No, and and, and you made a good point when you, 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 know, you talked about um... – uh, you know the fact that he he wasn't terrible yesterday. He really wasn't. I mean, you know, I I saw much. I saw every one of his pitches, and other than the hit to Eaton, I really didn't think that he was. You know, that was the spot. You yeah, you want to go get that guy get get out of the jam, and he doesn't. Um, but I thought he pitched okay. But yeah, you're right. He's not striking anybody out. So therefore, the mistakes that are happening behind him are go- are going to be even more magnified because if he's going to pitch to contact. And then there's errors behind you. They're likely going to find their way around the bases, especially if they happen early in innings. But if you look at the so I so I don't I didn't really have a problem with the way Ariadna pitched yesterday. Uh, I was I was okay with it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was a great pitching performance, but it wasn't a bad pitching performance. Um, but when you take his performance in context with his previous five six starts, which have not been good at all, then there is a little bit of a cause for concern there. And, and you know nothing's going to happen. They're not going to pull Arietta out of the rotation or anything crazy like that. But they definitely need him to be better. Um, you know, going forward, if there is one spot in the starting rotation where you sit there and say, "Yeah, we need somebody to be better than they've been," and it's that's it's Jake Arietta, and that's it's interesting to say because when you look at his generic numbers, they're not terrible. But when you break it down like you just did and said, guess what? You know he's not getting, he's not striking anybody out. So therefore, guys are moving around the bases on him pretty easy. That's a little bit of a concern. So you got, you know, I don't know if it's a velocity issue, if he's just not hitting his spots. Um, but whatever it is, he's got to, he's got to find it and figure it out. Um,
1: and but- and I compared him, his his start yesterday really to the start that he had against the Yankees. On, on Tuesday night. I was actually at that game, and I was behind the plate, and I just said, "I'm like, he doesn't look like he has a lot of life on his stuff. I know the velocity's there, but there's just not consistent life on the fastball. It's not getting that run that he's accustomed to getting or has gotten the past few seasons, and he's had a hard time locating it. And it was a similar situation in the third inning of that game. Uh, he got a dead double play ball to Hernandez, who kicked – or actually flipped it. It was a bad flip to Scott King, or he kept the inning alive uh, off the bat of D.D. Gregorius. And he comes out and he, he gets Stanton on strikes. And to his credit, big out. So it's second and third, two outs. And then he couldn't put away Glaber Torres. Two runs single to left field, two runs score. And and the way that Severino was going in that game, you knew that that was it. You knew the game was basically over at that point. It's just like he doesn't have enough to overcome his mistakes right now. And yeah. it's not all of his fault. He's not getting help from his defense. And it's, it's almost amazing how consistently bad the defense has been behind him. You would just think by pure coincidence at some point he would get some help, but he just hasn't. Uh, and it's it just led to this very bizarre stretch of games from Ariad in which he has not been good. He hasn't been terrible, and he definitely deserves a better fate that he's gotten on some of these, you know, in some of these performances. But it's just been a real strange stretch for him.
0: Yeah, it, it has, and, and it's one of those ones like because he's a veteran guy, and I know I I know we you know people hate hearing this sometimes, but it's the same thing that I was that I'm going to preach now that I preached with Carlos Santana in April. You know, you sometimes go through a stretch of games where things are you know not going well, and you sit there and say, "Oh, geez, this guy should be playing better. This guy should be di- you know everything should be different here," and then. Uh, all of a sudden they figure it out and they turn it on and they become the player you kind of expected. And so they go through those little stretches. So maybe, and I'm not saying that's definitely what's happening here, but maybe this is just Arietta hitting his roadblock in, in this season for the Phillies. And at some point it's going to turn around. Um, you know, maybe maybe it doesn't happen until after the All Star break. Maybe he needs a few days off, to just, you know, get away from baseball for a few days, relax, kind of take a vacation, come back, and, and he's, he'll be strong. Now, yeah, he's going to have a couple starts before the All Star break, and you hope that he pitches better in those, but you never know. If this is still a situation that we're dealing with, you know, six, seven starts down the road, then I think that there's a concern that we're sitting here saying, okay, now we're looking at it in a span of two months of the season where the guy has not pitched well. And, and you got to figure it out, and you start to wonder, well, gee, is this, was this a bad signing? But I think that we're still within that window where he can just be in that rough patch and still get himself out of it without much hassle. But we'll wait and see. I mean, I, I think that uh, it's definitely something to keep, uh, keep an eye on for sure.
1: The other guy that I, would, I, I briefly want to talk a little bit about is Vince Velasquez, and we've kind of stayed away from, from our boy the last uh, few shows. Obviously, he gets hurt uh, in the second inning, The other night, on Saturday night, in their win, he makes a great play. Probably one of the most impressive plays you'll see ever, certainly all year. Uh, And, I mean, he just takes a wicked comebacker off his his right elbow, picks the baseball up with his left hand. And it's been documented by now that he's ambidextrous, and that's great. But he just throws an absolute dart across the infield to get a big out, uh, prevented a run from scoring. And he's on the disabled list now, and that's a tough break for him, but it it doesn't appear that it's going to be uh, terribly long-term. He shouldn't be out too long. One thing that I want to point out, because we've been quick to to criticize him, and certainly I've been very critical of his performance uh, over the past few seasons and at times this season, but all of a sudden you look up and – among qualified starters in the National League, he has the 16th best war among starting pitchers. Um, and he has a 5-8 and eight record, a 4.69 ERA, and you kind of go, meh, when you look at the line. But really, if you just take away that one blow-up start he had against the Brewers back on June 8th, when he gave up 10 earned runs in three and two-thirds innings pitched, he's only allowed four earned runs or more one time in that stretch of games. He actually gave up four earned runs to the uh, Cardinals uh, back on June 19th, but he went six and a third in that game, and it was actually a pretty good start. So he's been really good now for almost the better part of three months, and uh, they're going to continue. If, they, if they're going to hang around in this, we've talked about it all season long. It's got to be driven by the starting pitching, and and I don't expect Zach Eflin to go five and zero in July. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know that he's going to continue to be one of the best pitchers in the league, but they're they're going to need him to continue to give them quality starts but they're going to need Vince Velasquez to, to look like the pitcher that he's been now the last 10, 11 times through the rotation. And if they get that and you continue to get what you've gotten out of NOLA, I, I think that that's the foundation of their success.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the interesting thing with Velasquez, you mentioned all his numbers. but So, you know, he's started 17 games this year, which, believe it or not, is it's, all, it's two-thirds of the way towards his career best. Like he's like the most games he's ever started in this season is 24 and he started 17 already and this injury even though he's on the DL he's really only going to looks like he's only going to miss one or two starts um at most so i mean he's probably going to end up as assuming he can stay healthy in the second half he's probably going to end up starting 32 33 games this year probably throw you uh, you know 160 165 innings which will be also be a career high and his whip is is approaching a, a career best as well so Look, you know, for all the there all the negative about Velasquez and there's been a lot of negative about Vince Velasquez over the course of the last two and a half seasons. Um this definitely has to be the most eye-opening um uh performances that he's put together to sit there and say, "Well, maybe this is what they saw all along with him." And yeah, it's not top of the rotation stuff. But it's certainly middle of the rotation stuff, and it's good middle of the rotation stuff. And so, you know, that's that's a thing, and it's it's starting to become, you know, it's li- it's not it's a little bit more than a small sample at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I've I've not been a big Vince Velazquez guy, but I, I can't help but sit here and say, yeah, he's he's pitched well for the Phillies. Uh, for the most part, this season, uh, even though, even though, the, and, you know, you look at the generic numbers, right? He's five and eight with a four six nine ERA. I tell you that, you're like, yeah, he stinks. I don't tell you who it is. I tell you here, here here's a pitcher. It's five and eight, four six nine. Yeah, he stinks. But when you really look at it, it's break it down and look at the look into it deeper, he's actually been pretty darn good. He's been pretty darn good. So um, I, I
1: think we're getting to the point with him where when you see him listed as a probable pitcher, you go, make him win tonight. You know, yeah. it's not, oh, God, here we go again. You know, not yeah. him, not tonight. But uh, he's just at a point now where I – mean, here's one last number for you. Uh, he held opponents to a two seventeen batting average in the month of June. That was tied with Corey Kluber and Jacob deGrom. Yeah. So, I mean, top 30 in Major League Baseball and batting average against last month. And he's, he really has. He's kind of looks like he's starting to turn a corner. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic on him. Yes. Now, what do they need to add? I think that this conversation really has to begin with relief pitching. We, I think we've also yep. spoken about this at great lengths. Um, but I think it is certainly still the most pressing need. I know that the, they were much better over the past two games. I know that Pat Neshek's back. Uh, I know that it, it may be addition by subtraction and that Hector Naris is now back in Lehigh Valley again after uh, just maybe one of the worst relief Appearances in in franchise history on Friday night, Um, and and so maybe this thing is trending in the in the right direction. Austin Davis gave you, like we talked about earlier, a very nice performance yesterday. There are some positives that we're starting to see just after a a terrible six seven week stretch by by that group, Um, but they they still have a long way to go.
0: Yes, they do, and and I'm not going to sit here and say because they. Had a big eight, a uh, big two games over the weekend because they did a nice job the other night after Velasquez came out, obviously, um, with the exception of Tommy Hunter, who again, again struggled in that game. Um, but uh, they they did they did fine the last two games, and that's good. That's that's what you want. And you know they're not going to be perfect, and we don't need them to be perfect. But we need that we need there to be consistency built up. So if this is the start of developing that consistency, okay, fine. Let's see it over the course of the next you know two to three weeks before the deadline gets here. And if you start to see a little bit more cohesiveness and consistency and reliability and maybe even roles starting to develop, um, then maybe you only need to get one bullpen arm. But I still believe, even with Neshek back, that they need two. Does
1: Hector it, Naris come back this season?
0: I don't know I, if they need him. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's at the situation where if they need, if they're, you know, somebody gets hurt or whatever, I mean, who else you got down there? I mean, wh- what's your other option? Right, I mean, who else are you going to go to at this point? I, I, you don't really have a choice. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be on your if you make the playoffs. He's going to be on your postseason roster, but you know, if if another pitcher goes down and you need to bring a pitcher up, who are you bringing up? It's got to be somebody with at least a major league pitch, a major league out pitch even though he has been able to throw it. I I
1: rarely say this when I watch athletes perform, especially when they perform poorly. But I, honest to God, Anthony, I felt sorry for him on Friday night when he was out there. Uh, I mean, three home runs allowed in 24 pitches. I actually did the math. I counted them up. I said, just how far did these home runs go? 1,276 feet worth of home runs. And, And I really did. He's completely lost. He looks broken Um, And and he had actually had a couple decent appearances against the Yankees, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe maybe the light went on in his little four- or five-day stint in Lehigh Valley, uh, but it most certainly did not, and uh, they just bludgeoned him. I mean, seven home runs he's allowed now in his last nine-and-two-thirds innings pitched. And uh, it's a league worst home runs per nine, and a league worst uh, FIP nine point seven one FIP. Oh,
0: the one thing with him is you know everybody Neris has only been here for a couple of you know a few years, right? So you think oh yeah oh, he's still young, he's almost thirty. Yeah, he's he's not a young pitcher anymore. Okay, so like this is this is kind of you know really concerning. I mean, you say all right, will he find it and then come back and everything will be fine? Well, maybe, but he better find it quick because there ain't it, this is. I don't think he's got another option after this year. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, they could move, shuttle him back and forth as many times as they want this year. You only use the one option. But I, after that, that's it. I mean, you either stick with the team or you're gone. And and that's, you know, that's the nature of relief pitching any, anymore in Major League Baseball. But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty and, bad. And just
1: to clarify, the, the seven home runs in nine and two-thirds innings pitched were in the month of June. Uh opponent's at 349 with against him with a 1294 OPS. But here's the crazy thing, and this is the one thing I will say about Hector Nares. Awful month, historically bad month. He struck out 15 hitters and walked only one in those 10 innings. And like that's the infuriating thing about him. Like when you look at the velocity, it's the exact same as it was in 2015, 2016. There is no shift in any direction on his velo, and then you look at just the, the strikeout stuff. It's like in between these these bomb home runs that he's giving up, he's really nasty. And the, that's the thing that's just kind of – I don't want to use the word infuriating because at this point I'm desensitized to his ineffectiveness. But that's the baffling thing when you watch him. It's batter to batter, pitch to pitch. It's, it's something completely ridiculous, completely nasty. And then he's throwing a cupcake right down the middle that gets blasted 420 feet. And – You kind of just look at the stuff and you look at the ability to miss bats, and you just hope that the light goes on down there. But at this point, I'm not counting on that.
0: No, uh, nor should you. I mean, he, you know, he's the first pitcher in the history of the franchise to give up three home runs in an inning twice. Okay, think about that for a second.
1: He did that in Los Angeles last season, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah. So (laughs) the Major League, Phillies have had a Major League Baseball team for 135 years
1: and they haven't been very good in some of those years right (laughs)
0: 135 years and he's the first pitcher to give up three home runs in an inning twice that's crazy (laughs) i mean that's bad yeah right i mean that's just that's just how bad it is his last you know calendar year has been so yeah i'm not yeah so they need at least one arm in the bullpen if not two um, there was, uh, Buster only put out a report that the Phillies have been, uh, linked pretty heavily to Mike Moustakis as a possible third baseman, um, after the deadline with Kansas City. And, yeah, yeah, Mike Moustakis doesn't blow me away. It doesn't, I don't think it's a, it would be a bad move, but I, and he doesn't really, you know, do it for me. I don't know how he fits this style. You know, he's one of those guys who, yeah, he'll hit the long ball, but he's not an on-base guy. He strikes out a lot. I mean, he's not an on-base guy. So I don't know how he fits this whole mold of controlling the strike zone, which the Phillies believe in.
1: Well, uh, so, so let's talk about that. Because we we spoke about Adrian Beltre last week uh, on the show. Here's – yes, he doesn't fit what – he doesn't fit that mold. I think that that's pretty clear. The on-base percentage isn't bad, by the way. I mean, our, yeah, actually, it's not great. I, I was going to try to defend him a little bit. It's like it's 313. Yeah. I was going to say I thought it was yeah. 314. The OPS okay. isn't bad. It's almost near 800. So here's the issue. Yes, he does not fit that mold, but he does offer something that they don't have a lot of, which is thump. I mean, he's a guy that you can stick in the middle of that order, and he's one more legitimate threat to take a pitcher deep at any given time. And that's something this team lacks. When you have a guy like Scott Kingery, and you have a guy like J.P. Crawford when he comes back, and... You know, whatever they're getting out of the catching position and Cesar Hernandez is a little bit light hitting in terms of power. They don't have a, a, an abundance of power on this team so you would have one more middle of the order bat that, that can go deep and, and that might be a nice compliment to guys that can control the strike zone. Certainly if they're looking for another player in that mold Beltre the better guy and I, I think everyone would agree with that but I, I don't know. Is there something to be said about kind of going against the grain of what you have in place already as a compliment?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and that's why I said I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was a. Ba- it would be a bad move if you go for go after Mustakis. But I, I think that the thing, and I, you know, we know that the Phillies are always chasing big innings, right? I mean, Kapler says it all the time. You know, we're we're going to try and make a, get a big inning, go for the big inning. I, I and I get that. So you know, you bring in a guy like Mustakas, the threat of hitting a home run could make that a big inning. But there's something to be said for a guy who's a. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, and B hits over three hundred. Plop, plopping him in the middle of the lineup, and you sit there and say, man, where, where's that clutch single? They get guys on base because they walk and walk, and when you try to get it, you have know, bases loaded one out and don't get the run in. You know, you just need a single, and guys are striking out or popping up because they're, they're trying to, you know, hit the ball in the air and hit over the infield. But if you have a guy who can go up there as a professional hitter and get that base hit into right field or base hit to left field and score your run or two runs, like, to me, that, inc- that incites a big inning far better than – you know winging a prayer that the guy's going to hit a home run. So like that, like I am I'm I'm okay with going after a big inning. I just don't necessarily think it, a big inning has to be a home run every time. I think it, I think you can go get a big inning with a bunch of guys who know how to, you know, bat and and uh, get on base and get a single here and there like you know, you, you can you can nickel and dime teams to death in baseball. It it it's been successful in this sport before. You don't have to be Uh, laden with power and so like to me that's why I like Beltre better I wouldn't be opposed to Moustakis but I like Beltre as a better option
1: I know there are some people that are listening to this saying they're talking about Adrian Beltre and Mike Moustakis why aren't they talking about Manny Machado and just a quick note on that I mean we've talked about Manny Machado and what you would give up for him and, and how far would you be willing to go for a guy that obviously would be a significant boost for this lineup and may even kind of be a. it would probably I would say, shift the power of the division at that point. If the Phillies go out and add Manny Machado, they conceivably become the front-runner for the division. I think he would have that great of an offensive impact on this lineup. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I still, and I know John Heyman, there was a report today that the Phillies and Dodgers are the teams – most closely linked to Machado, and that that there are guys out there that believe the Phillies are in play for him this season. I don't know if I'm just protecting myself here, or I, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. I still don't think the Phillies are going to do that, and so I don't view it as a realistic possibility at this point. Maybe if they continue to play well, and they they see a situation in which they really feel like, hey, you know, end of July rolls around, we think that we can impress him here. We think that we're about to go on a playoff run. That he's going to be reluctant to leave, and that we're also prepared to offer him whatever he wants. Once free agency rolls around in terms of dollars, the hell with it. Let's go. Maybe maybe I just don't see it, and so that's why I haven't spent a lot of time talking about Manny Machado at this point.
0: No, I don't think that they're going to do it either. I don't think that they're going to risk giving up the prospects that it would take to trade for Manny Machado when they know in the offseason they can go get him with their dollars. So I'm like you. I don't see it as a realistic thing. If it happens – Wow.
1: Yeah, like logically speaking, you yeah, look at wow. it and go, Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense and they should just wait and but that's one of those ones where if you open up Twitter and you see Phillies acquire Manny Machado, you go, Let's friggin' go. Right? Like it's like yeah. one of the it just gives you that jolt, but I just don't see it happening.
0: No, I don't I don't either. And I'll give you one other third base alternative that's no one's talking about that I think could be available at the trade deadline. And again, to me fits nicely because of the kind of player he is, the kind of batter he is. Any interest in Matt Duffy?
1: He's Tampa Bay. He's like hitting. He's, he's hit over three. Season. He's hitting yeah. over three
0: hundred. Yeah, I'll pull here. I'll give you. I'll give, give you me some the Matt, rundown on Matt. Duffy. I'll give you some Matt Duffy stats for you. Okay. You. So Matt Duffy, so far this season. Okay, is uh, he's playing at a two war. Okay, for for Tampa, uh, doesn't hit for power, but he's hitting 321, playing every day at third base. Uh, he did miss a little bit of time early in the season, but he's been their everyday guy since he came back. Um, 285 plate appearances hitting 321 365 on base
1: 795 ops. Yes, oh, one home run. Yeah. No, he's got four home runs. He's got four home runs. Yeah, four, All right. four home runs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess this is a matter of where does what what's the cost? He's he's still on the young side. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, to me, I would rather see them go with a guy that has the pop like Mustakis, or sure. has that that pedigree like Beltray. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's definitely he's outside a, the box. Yeah,
0: he's free agent at the end of the year, so he's not going to cost you anything. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. That's so. That's that's the only thing I throw out there and say. Eh, if you can't if you can't get one of those guys because Kansas City, t- Texas, or even if you even want to talk about Machado, Baltimore want too, many, too much for a player. And if you sit there near the Phillies and say, we need to get multiple players so we can't afford to trade off a lot of prospects, maybe we go get something else that's a, that's a, that a, is a greater need and we can fill that third base need with something that's a little bit more under the radar.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you might see that just in general, whether it be a guy like Matt Duffy at third base or in the bullpen or anywhere. I mean, I do think that the Phillies could maybe make some moves here that, that we're not expecting in terms of we're not talking about a certain player ahead of time. You know, the obvious move might not end up being the move for this team.
0: Right, right. There is another position, though. Yeah, there is. That no one has discussed. And I mean this, Bob, no one except for us. I think we're the only two people who have sat here and we did it off air, but now we're going to do it on air. No one has said that the Phillies need another outfielder.
1: We've but spent I a think, lot of time. We've I spent think they A lot do. of time talking this season about Aaron Altair versus Nick Williams, and, and we've both kind of been pro Nick Williams, and and I still remain pro Nick Williams to an extent. Um, both of these guys have just not gotten the job done in right field this season. And one of the things that I was really excited about coming in offensively was the idea of platooning Aaron Altair and Nick Williams. I thought to myself. These are two guys that have some athleticism. They have some pop. They can hit for extra bases. Altair obviously, uh, you know, works the strike zone a lot better. He can draw walks. I'm a little bit more of an on-base percentage guy. Uh, Williams had a very good season offensively uh, for really what was his rookie year um, last season, and it just hasn't materialized at all. They've both been they've both been pretty bad. Altair has been significantly worse. Uh, But they need to do something in right field. And so let's just start with Aaron Altair, who's hitting 174 and 224 plate appearances. He has a 290 on-base percentage. He only has 13 extra base hits, and he's striking out in over 32% of his at-bats. He's completely lost right now. And let me give you this one. Of National League players with at least 50 plate appearances in the month of June, he had a negative negative. 0.5 war, which was the fifth worst in the NL, a 140 batting average, which was the third worst mark, and a 41.1k percentage, which was dead last. He was 0 for 3 yesterday, making him seven of his last 53, which is a 132 average since June 1st. Can you win with this long term?
0: The short answer, Bob, is no. You cannot win with a a guy who's playing as much as he is and I I, I don't want to call it a platoon per se because I mean you know Nick Williams has been playing more than Altair lately but Altair is getting still you know regular enough at bats that he's you know part of this of this lineup but you need something better than that I mean if you do his comparables um, on baseball reference I mean you got guys like Elijah Dukes okay Termel Sledge, I mean, are these guys that you that you would want when you're putting together a, um, a blast from the past? Yeah, a, a, a playoff baseball team. Mike Diaz, yeah, Scott Van Slyke. These are the names that you're putting out there, okay? And it, you know, I, I, you know, we can we were jokingly comparing him to to uh, John Mayberry Jr. Um, and that
1: would actually be a preferable comp right now at, right? at the
0: way he's playing. Yeah, here's the thing with Altair, he's got an option left. Why not send him down?
1: Yeah, I guess for the reason that, that they were high on him in the first place, you have this this good athlete who's supposed to play above average defense, who, by the way, isn't. Um, yeah. And he's supposed to provide pop from the right-hand side of the plate. And, and that's why I guess they, they think that he can fill a role. He hasn't. At this point, though, I think we're definitely in the territory of he doesn't really warrant a twenty-five, one of the spots on the 25-man roster.
0: Not right now he doesn't. That's for and sure.
1: Nick Williams, who I've been a big proponent of, hasn't been markedly better. Uh, 728 OPS and 215 plate appearances. I know that he's had some huge pinch hits for this team. He does kind of find himself to be in the middle of the action a lot of times. I feel like he has a lot of important at-bats, and he's, he's been clutch, if you want to use that term. Uh, but his offensive production has been slightly below league average as well. Uh, combined, all and Williams have given the Phillies a negative .8 WAR this season, which is uh, which is certainly below league average and, and really in the bottom third of the league. And defensively, they're not much better either. Uh, second worst baseball, uh, second worst in baseball in terms of UCR, uh, right field defense, and they're twenty first in terms of defensive runs saved. So it's been ugly by every measure. And it's it's not really so much about going out and getting a fourth outfielder anymore. It's, it's maybe about finding a guy that you can plug out there every day who you know is going to at least give you league average production.
0: And, and you know why they can't send the, – I'm going to answer my own question. You know why they can't send Aaron Altair down? They don't have an outfielder on the 40-man roster to replace him with, except for Roman Quinn, who's hurt.
1: Yeah. Um, they don't have
0: – do you know they only have three currently – this is this is ridiculous. I'm the more that I look at this, the more it baffles me. There are only 3 position players not on the major league roster. Maybe it's only 2. There are only 2 position players not on the major league roster currently who are on the 40-man. The rest are all pitchers. So it's Mitch Walding and Roman Quinn are the only two members of the 40-man roster who are position players not on the not on the major league roster. How can, you have, how can you be so short on the 40-man?
1: And this isn't really a revelation in terms of what we've talked about on this show. We've, yeah. we've said that this has been an ultra-thin team. They don't have any depth. And when you look around at the Phillies and, and kind of compare them to some of the other contenders, this is what you really see is just that they don't stack up in terms of their ability to withstand devastating injuries so i mean yeah i guess you see the guy hitting right now in in the 170s existing on this roster despite being just brutal for over 200 plate appearances because there is nobody to replace him with um and and so that is something that i think that this team certainly has to explore now in the next four weeks before the trade deadline
0: but let me throw some names at you who i think might get moved um at the trade deadline uh potentially could get moved and who are outfielders and you tell me if you have any interest in any of these guys? Okay, cause none of them are going to really jump out at you and say, "Oh, awesome superstar! Yeah, let's get him." Um, I think that these are guys who you could probably get maybe for you know you, you know a controllable asset or two, um, and uh, and they could be upgrades to what you currently have. I'll tell you, I'll give you my my favorite one first. How about Nick Castellanos in Detroit? Any interest in him?
1: Yeah, uh, he's significantly better than what you have. Uh, well, I mean, he yeah significantly so. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, a decent player. He's um, was, was he at thirteen home runs this season? Yeah, uh, so. 13,
0: 13 home runs, and even more impressively, he's got twenty six doubles already. That's that's a lot. I mean, he's on pace for fifty fifty two doubles. I mean, that's that's a good. He's hitting three ten three fifty seven on base. So he's he's a guy who finds his way on. Uh, got a little bit of pop. You know, actually, he can play third base, too, if you really need him to. Um, so you can look at it from that perspective as well. But he's been full-time right fielder uh, for the Tigers this year.
1: You know what he is? He, in terms of offense, he's giving you better production. Just to kind of put this in Phillies terms, he's giving you better offensive production right now than Odubel Herrera has this season. Yeah, uh, you know the OPS is significantly higher, on base percentage is higher, and and I think we have all felt pretty good about what Herrera has given the Phillies this season. So if you can go out and add a guy like him to Herrera and Hoskins, and all of a sudden you have a, a pretty strong offensive outfield. Yeah, and that would certainly lengthen this lineup a little bit. So yeah, uh, would I like Nick Castellanos? Sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I'll give you another name, a, a guy who really hasn't done anything until this year, and he's finally starting to show. <laughs> um this year that he can play a little bit like you know that that long lost promise that kind of disappeared for so long um not as good a hitter as Castellanos currently um uh on a uh uh, on the DL but I think he'll be back before the trade deadline and that's what makes him an interesting uh possibility Jorge Soler
1: oh that's a that's a really interesting name uh you know when he first came up you thought he was going to take baseball by storm you yeah. know, uh, when he, he first came on the scene with the Cubs, and it seems like it was forever ago. It was only 2014, right? Yep. I mean, he, he's only been in the league a handful of years. Uh, yeah, he, he really, he went through it. He bottomed out last year, his first year with the Royals. Uh, but, yeah, certainly has bounced back this season. Take a quick look at the stat line. He's got a four sixty six slugging percentage, three fifty four on base percentage, and uh, some pop as well. You know, nine home runs in uh, 223 plate appearances. Uh, so, you know, I mean. Yeah, again, that would be – 223 at-bats, I'm sorry. Um, it would be a significant upgrade over what Williams and Altair have given you. Now, the thing that you have to look at is not just looking at Williams and Altair's stat lines of what they've done, but is there any reason to believe that either of these two guys are going to play better in the second half of the season? As far as Altair is concerned, you can't imagine him playing any worse. So you would think that there would be some type of, of averaging out here because, I mean, Aaron Altair is not a completely unknown quantity. He has at least performed at a functional level uh, previously in his major league career. We've never seen him struggle like this before. Is, do you have any hope whatsoever that that either of these two guys can rebound and give you something?
0: I mean, again, I've not. I'm not giving up on Nick Williams. I, I don't think his his numbers are awful. Um, I just think that they're you know they're not as good as they were last year. He's slightly below par, but it's only his. I mean. He really still hasn't been in the major leagues for a calendar year yet. I mean, that, that comes up uh, next week, I believe. Uh, they called him up the week before the All-Star break last year. So he's he still hasn't officially been in the league for a full year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not just going to sit here and say, oh, that's it. I'm done with Nick Williams. So I think that there's still time with him. And and I wouldn't be opposed to keeping Nick Williams, you know, as that fourth guy coming. He showed he can hit coming off the bench early in the season as a pinch hitter. Um so yeah, I'm. I'm a. But Aaron Altair, I was never really an Aaron Altair guy. I just kind of felt like he was an athletic outfielder, a good defensive outfielder who had a little bit of ability, but not, not a ton. And you know, he had a that you know a season or a season and a half where you kind of thought, wow, this guy could be something. But the more he plays, the more holes you see in his swing, and the more you realize that he's nothing more than a fifth outfielder at best. Uh, on a major league roster and so therefore I, yeah I need to move on from him I really do you know and I, I threw two names at you I, I have actually had a couple more but I'll, I'll give you one last one and this is kind of crazy because he's an older guy and he's not very good defensively but he's a heck of a hitter <laughs> any interest in Shinsu Chu
1: yeah, I mean, defense doesn't matter anyway with this team, right? Anyway, it's like, <laughs> nobody plays it anyway, so, I mean, why even bother to fix it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I, I I don't know. G- give me the rundown on him. I'd be lying to you if I've said that uh, I've been following him very closely this season. Well, the
0: Texas, the Texas Rangers are not a very good team, and they're going to be looking to you know trade off assets. One of the things about Chu is he signed next year with a big contract, and so I would as- assume that the Rangers would be willing to – take on a you know, paying a good portion of that to hopefully get something in return for him instead of saying, you know, to a to a team, not you gotta take them and the, and the money. Um, but so far Chu, who's thirty five, um, can play left field a little bit too if you need it, but I mean obviously you got Hoskins out there. So far this season, hitting two eighty three, uh, fifteen homers, thirty nine RBIs, three ninety three on base, eight seventy six OPS it's it's the guy can flat out hit i mean he's he's been a good hitter good on base guy career 830 ops and he's at 876 at age 35 um he's a he's the kind of guy you put in the, in your lineup and you just it just he has got a little bit of pop and a lot of on base and
1: yeah he's reached base 43 straight games yeah by he, the
0: way. Yeah, yeah i know he's the same thing as, as uh, herrera earlier in the year um so, yeah, I would I mean, say
1: when you look at him, uh, because he's 35 years old, because he's on a really bad Texas team, uh, when you look at the salary, I, I think that that's it makes it a little bit more likely uh, of him being a possibility. Castellanos is, is relatively cheap. I think he's only making $6 million this season. And he's under control beyond... Uh, beyond is arbitra- he's, he's
0: arbitration eligible for yes, one year. Yes.
1: yes. And so, I mean, th- that would... That would cost a pretty penny, I would think, to to land him at this point when you look at the production and the contract situation and the age and and all of those other factors. So it really just is going to come down to how aggressive the Phillies want to be. I, I would argue that you could make a more significant upgrade by adding a right fielder at this point than you can at third base. I agree. Like, I, not that we love Mike Alfranco, but I think that you can get significantly better and upgrade. The, the upgrade is much bigger if you go out and you grab an outfielder uh, that gives you that level of production that we're speaking about as opposed to maybe getting Franco out or you know phasing out J.P. Crawford to third and, and moving him back to shortstop. So when you look at it that way, it, it does make some sense to, to look at the outfield as opposed to third base.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think in all honesty it's – I think it's number two after the bullpen. I really do. I think it's it's a it's a bigger need because the li- I mean boy that, I looked at that lineup yesterday, starting lineup yesterday because you know Santana even, Santana wasn't even supposed to play yesterday, I ended up playing nine innings. Um, uh, so, you know, you take Santana out of the lineup to give him a day off, and you have Altair hitting four, Kingry hitting five. um Valentine hitting six, Alfaro seven, and then Nick Williams eight. I'm like, but there's nothing after Herrera. Yeah, it a was a, you had lineup. three hitters in the lineup yesterday. It was so, I mean, it's like, holy cow, and, and they won the game. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, you need another consistent and reliable bat in the lineup, and you have a better chance of getting that in the outfield than you do with third base.
1: So you look at third base, you look at the outfield, you look at the relievers, and, and then like we talked about last week, do you, do you go after a, a guy like Cole Hamels or a pitcher with playoff experience or a, a functional left-handed starter, which they don't have? There are a lot of areas that this team can upgrade in. Uh, they will not upgrade in all of them. They only are going to, I would imagine, go uh, you know, mortgage the future to a certain extent. They're only going to dip into that farm system to a certain extent. And you're not going to go out and address four or five different areas of need at the trade deadline. You're just not going to do it. So what the Phillies have to decide is what is the most that we can get back? How can we best improve this team? in terms of what we're going to be willing to give up, which I don't think is going to be a ton. So while I would love to go see Nick Castellanos, why I'd like to see Adrian Beltre or Mike Moustakis and two relief pitchers to hammer down the 7th and 8th and solidify the back end of that bullpen, and then also see maybe a left-handed starter come here. Man, hell, if they added all of those things, they would probably be, I would say, front runners to win the National League at that point. But there's just no way that this team, after being so patient in terms of this rebuild, are going to go out and just say, screw it, We're going to make every move possible to win now. So it'll be very interesting to see now what happens over the next few weeks, if they can take advantage of a weaker schedule and then decide what they want to do at the deadline. But uh, isn't it fun that we're talking about this? You know, we've spoken about before we ever did our first episode, when we first got together, we said, this team has a chance – to be pretty damn good this year and they can make things interesting late into the summer and into the fall and they are surely doing that at this point and it's really fun to to be able to imagine scenarios where you add here, you add there and you find yourself playing in a meaningful series in October and it's it, at least after 82 games on a day off after a four game set against the Washington Nationals and you took three or four from them we're having this conversation and that is awesome
0: Yeah, no, it really is. It really is um. Hey Bob, one last thing. Yes. Before we one get last out of here, thing. one last thing before we get out of here, um, and this is actually kind of usually we try and do something from around baseball, but this one actually has a little bit of a tie to the Phillies, as a matter of fact. Um. um and it's a story by Jerry Krasnick over at ESPN. Jerry Krasnick's a Philadelphia-based guy for ESPN. Um. Well, originally from Philadelphia, he's not based here, but he's originally from Philly. So he, a lot of times his stories are are built. Uh, out of you know Philadelphia in some capacity, either he's interviewing people here or talking to Phillies people, and he leads his story, which is about um, how analytics is being delivered to players. It's not about you know how' it's, how it's happening, but how the players are accepting it and how people deliver it. and his stories uh, focuses on Sam Fold. And Sam Fould, who you may remember, played for several seasons in Major League Baseball. He was a good defensive outfielder, stole a lot of bases, was very fast, couldn't hit worth a damn. But, um yeah, you know, he was on Tampa, and I think he played for Oakland. Um I forget. I think it was maybe Baltimore. Um, anyway, so he was hired in the offseason by the Phillies um, to be their um, – Basically, they're liaison to the players from the analytics department, and I guess his official title is Major League Player Information Coordinator. Um, And so, it's his job to basically take what the analytics department is gives them and find a way to tell it to the players without upsetting them, because there's a lot of players in baseball who have basically said that they don't like being told how they have to do things by people who've never played the game. And that's what most analytics departments are because they're a bunch of um, numbers crunchers. Um, So what Sam Fould's job is, is to go in and basically tell guys, Hey, um, you know, you're a little, you're a little bit leery to swing at that fastball on the inside corner, but you know what? Our data shows that you actually do pretty well swinging at that pitch. So, you know, when you're seeing it, take a crack at it, take a couple shots at it. Um, it's a unique approach because guys like Reese Hoskins and Scott Kingery have really kind of you know, bought into Sam fold. Um And if you go through the story and read a couple of the quotes, it's really kind of interesting stuff. But if you go and look at like other uh, players from around the league, there's a really great one uh, with like Eric Hosmer, for example, who signed a big contract with the Padres. Um, and his numbers so far this year are pretty on par with his entire career. And, um, and you know, he's, he's you know, being, you know not, too, t- not taken too kindly to being told, you know, how to hit by numbers crunchers. Again, Christian Yelich, who's a young player, as a matter of fact, uh, with Milwaukee, he has a great quote. And he's like, the fan graphs and analytics people are always telling me you need to hit more fly balls. Every year, wherever you go, there are guys who come in the locker room and say it. I'm like, okay, let me change my swing. How's that going to go? Nobody knows. A lot of work goes into something like that. It's a big risk, and I feel like the way I've gone about it these first five years is all right. Hitting's hard enough as it is. I understand no ground ball has ever gone over the fence, and that's their biggest argument. You can't slug with a ground ball. Well, nobody's trying to hit ground balls except for a few guys like D Gordon and Billy Hamilton. They don't really mind hitting a ground ball. That's their game. But at the same time, there's a right way to go about trying to drive the ball and have success in the other aspects of the game. So like you hear these players, who are even young players, who are like, yeah, don't tell me how to hit. You know, I'm I'm the one who's the major league ball player here, not you. And yet the Phillies, to their credit, have found a communicative way of doing this without ruffling feathers in the clubhouse.
1: If I'm a guy like Christian Yelich, I'm going to be a little bit more uh, or less, Yeah, I'm going to be more reluctant to change my swing. Uh, He's a guy that's had a ton of success at the start of his career. There are plenty of players though that do get these numbers, they get these stack cast type numbers like launch angle specifically in terms of uh, hitting approach and guys that haven't really had a ton of success. Let's take a player like Daniel Murphy for instance, one of the the best uh, examples of a guy that really used launch angle to his advantage. He changed his average launch angle from 11.1 degrees in 2015 to 16.6 degrees in 2016, and he became a much more dangerous, much more productive hitter than he had ever been. And so there are guys that are going to look at those numbers and say, okay, I need to elevate the baseball more, and it's had a very positive effect on their offensive output. However, it is tough. You know, you go 0 for 4, you're in the middle of uh, hitting 180 in a given month, and you hear a knock on the door, and some guy comes down from the analytics department and says – Um, Yeah, you know, here's the thing. You keep swinging at sliders when you're below or when you're down in the count 0-2. You should probably stop doing that because you're only hitting 121 on those pitches. Well, what the hell is that? So having a guy like Fold there that can take that information, relay it to hitters and say, this is usable. We don't have to rework your entire swing. But when you're ahead 2-0, we see what you're doing on pitches on the inner half of the plate or outer half of the plate or what have you this is what you should be looking at. And that's a great way to take that information to help better players. It doesn't always have to result in the change of a swing.
0: No, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's the thing that we've – and we've both said this with consistency, that if you can take the analytics and find a way to use that information um, holistically to make – you know, to, to help improve the team without going crazy – it certainly has major benefits and so to sit there and and have you know Sam fold um, goes in he, there's a there's a quote where he says you know he goes up to Hoskins and goes take this for what it's worth but the statistics are showing that it's something you can focus on if you want um, uh, you're hitting 380 on sliders in the strike zone so go ahead and offer at them instead of taking them that's that's a good use of analytics Saying, okay, look, we're seeing this. You're hitting 380 when you swing at a slider in the strike zone, so don't take so many of them. Okay, that's not changing your mechanics. That's not changing um, the way you play the game. That's sitting there saying, you know, hey, that's that's a pitch you can go get because you're doing well with it. And if it and if it tails off, then maybe you stop. You know, if your average drops from 380 to 230, okay, then we're going to stop you from swinging at him again. You know whatever the case might be, but that's a that's taking the information and doing something positive with it, and that's a, that's there's nothing wrong with that in any sport of using analytics in that approach. It's when you take it too far that it that you that you've you know now you know jumped the shark in a lot of ways. But this this is really good and this says a lot. Um, I, you know I will give Kapler a lot of credit here because again, I think Kapler and Fold were teammates. Um, in Tampa, so that's probably how Sam got you know tied in here. Although he wasn't Baltimore, so I guess maybe McPhail and uh, Klentak maybe knew him from Baltimore. But I, I would really have to look at the years. I'm not sure what the exact connection is. But I mean, I, it, this is this is positive use of analytic of analytic data. Yeah,
1: and some of this stuff isn't isn't totally new to what you're just accustomed to seeing. Now there's just numbers and, and actual data, a uh, hard data to, to say. This is, be, this is successful for you, or this has been successful for you, this is what you should do. Like, Jose Altuve is arguably the best pure hitter in baseball. And what is something that he does all the time? He swings at the first pitch. He has a ton of success swinging at the first pitch. Uh, nobody is better in baseball last season than Jose Altuve when he put the first ball in play. You know this as a hitter if you're like, hell, you know, I feel like the last couple weeks I've I've been ripping the ball when I swing at the first pitch. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to continue to do that until it stops working. But now you can say, yeah, listen, man, when you're swinging at the first pitch, you're hitting 581 over the last four weeks. Continue to do this. Stay aggressive. So I think that while we call it analytics and while we, you know, are able to say there's actual raw data and raw numbers now to look at and, and you have these liaisons, if you will, there are a lot of these things that I, th- I think have been going on for a while that have just been based on feel. That now you're getting numbers behind.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's good. It, 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 it absolutely,
1: it, absolutely useful. I love that the Phillies do that. I, I think it's it's yeah. incredibly smart, and I do think that you need. Uh, I don't want to use. I, I would almost use the word like an interpreter. You know, how do we make sense of this? How do I, uh, you know, relay this to a player? Make it relatable and make him want to buy into it. And I think that that's. You can have a, a strong analytics department. You can have some of the smartest minds in the game. But if you can't get the players to buy into the message that's being sold, then, then it's no good. Right, exactly. And so exactly. a guy like Fold is critically important to the success of that actually playing out.
0: Yeah, so that's a, that's a good little story by Krasnick there on Sam Fold. I think that's a that's a nice thing. So uh, anyway, that wraps it up for us for this week. Yet another, yet another great week, uh, another great program. Um, be sure to check out all the programs on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. Uh, Snow the goalie, uh, Cross, uh, crossing, crossing. Uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, crossing Broad FC, um, which it's is always uh, soccer yeah, in Philadelphia. Doing yeah, it's yeah. always soccer in Philadelphia, and of course the Crossing Broadcast. Um, they're always they're always there. Uh, you can download us and subscribe on all the. Um, famous uh, and infamous um, podcasting platforms. Uh, You can subscribe, leave us a review and a rating. Uh, We got a recent one. We had just, I I mentioned, I I said we would give a, if we got a five-star rating, we'd uh, put them out on on the show. DD 1 million puts out a five-star review and says, uh, these guys do a good job, goes much deeper than regular baseball talk on the radio. Informed. And then uh, another one that was recent, Joe Mike Fitness uh, says, To anyone who listens to this podcast, I will tell you now, if you like any other team other than the Phillies, I will guarantee you that you will be the next biggest fan. This podcast is run by Bob Wankel. What I see in him is a smart, super funny, informative, and creative guy. He is dedicated to his work and deserves 100 stars.
1: Well, uh, i got to say, thank you, Mom. Uh, I, <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs> I don't know about all that, but uh, we're, we're doing the best we can for you here. So. Yeah,
0: so there you go. So, yeah, keep, uh, keep the reviews and the five-star ratings coming. We do appreciate it. Uh, but we'll be back next week, and uh, you know, who knows? Maybe the Phillies will be in first place next week, Bob, when we, when we talk again. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. So, until okay. next time, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo for Bob Wankel saying thanks for tuning in.